Help us to walk away from here, Father, desiring to be more like you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 1? Colossians chapter 1. And before we get into the text, uh, Pastor Sam called me last night and he said to uh, share with all of you that though they are in Arizona, though they are having a great time with family, uh, he truly misses being together with, with all of you today. Uh, they'll be getting back later this week, but he just wanted, to, wanted me to share that with you guys. So be praying for Pastor Sam and Rachel and Timothy as they travel back soon, uh, just that they would have a, a quick trip and there would be no difficulty, no issues. But he just wanted me to mention that to you. Colossians chapter 1. This morning, let me, let me begin with a question. Do you truly care for others? The reason why I ask that question is because we live in a world that is, is self-serving and is really only concerned about taking care of itself. Uh, for many, as long as they are doing well, really that's all that matters. Uh, it's been said for some time that others don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. As we gather together here this morning, I want to ask you this question. And just answer honestly, inside your head. But do you desire to see your fellow brother and sister in Christ grow in their personal walk with God? I mean, you're sitting next to people in your pew right now that you're not related to. You're sitting next to, perhaps, for some of you, family members. But ask yourself that question. Do you desire, as we've gathered here together today, to see your brother and sister in Christ grow in their personal walk with God? My hope is that you would answer that with a resounding yes. But if we were to be honest this morning, we would have to admit that our actions at times are completely self-serving. And we are really only concerned with making sure that we are doing well. Now, as a parent, if you have a child, sure, you want them to do well. But, but really, at the end of the day, as long as we're doing well, we hope things are going well for you. But really, that's all that matters. Today, as we approach this passage it's my desire that you ask this, yourself this question as we examine and study Colossians 1, verse 9 through 14. See, in Colossians 1, 9 through 14, we read of a prayer from the Apostle Paul. In this prayer, it's beautiful, and it contains Paul's desire for his fellow Christians in Colossae to grow in wisdom and spiritual understanding concerning their walk with God. But as Paul prays for this, he declares to his fellow Christians that this can only be accomplished through divine power from God. That's why we sang about God's power this morning. Yes, we sang about the power of the cross, but it is only through God's divine power that this can be accomplished. You're there in Colossians 1. Will you, will you join me in verse 9? For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom in spiritual understanding. Why? That you might walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened strengthen with all might, according to his glorious power, and all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. 
who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And then in verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So ask yourself that question this morning. Do you desire to see spiritual growth take place in the life of your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? As you read this passage, it's immediately clear that Paul is desiring that these Christians that he's never met, these Christians that he's never seen face to face, these Christians who he just knows where they live, that's about all he knows. He's he's desiring spiritual growth, growth for them. And he acknowledges and he wants them to recognize and know and understand that that can only be accomplished through God's power. Well, as we approach the first verse of this passage, verse 9, let us ask ourselves this question. Could the cause of Paul's prayer be due to the report that he had received from Epaphras? Uh, Last Sunday evening, we began this this series in Colossians. And we, we found out then that the great report that Paul received was from Epaphras, who was a fellow servant, a fellow minister, one who had led many of these people to Christ, one who had founded the church. Well, this prayer by Paul is that God filled the the Colossian Christians with the knowledge of God's will. I mean, this was crucial that Paul would ask this. It wasn't just a generic prayer. It wasn't, Lord, help them grow. Lord, fill them with knowledge. It was crucial Because these Christians in Colossae, as we mentioned last week, they were facing heretical teaching from the Gnostics, who believed that all things physical, all matter, was evil. And again, we understand why why we would have an issue with that. That means that Jesus Christ could not be God. That means that creation was a bad thing, yet Scripture tells us that God created it and it was good in his sight. But knowing that issues were potentially on the horizon for, these, for this group of believers, Paul desired that they know the knowledge of God's will. The knowledge of God will most certainly be the whole counsel of God. Well, as Paul begins this prayer for them, Paul prays that they would be aware of God's will in all wisdom. This points to the idea of the greatest possible knowledge. Not limited knowledge, but the greatest possible knowledge. What a beautiful request that's made here by the Apostle Paul for these Christians in Colossae. What what we must recognize this morning is that this request by Paul, it was crucial because mere feelings and fleeting emotions cannot compare with absolute, unchanging, eternal truth. What is wonderful to see at the beginning of of this prayer is Paul's earnest desire for these Christians to experience spiritual growth and understanding in their personal walk with God. What Paul understood, though, was that spiritual milk may be okay for a time, but meat is needed at some point. 1 Corinthians 3, 2 and Hebrews 5, verse 12 through 13 illustrate this beautiful truth. But we need to be honest with one another today. Do we truly desire spiritual growth for one another? Are we earnest in praying for one another to succeed and to grow in their walk as they face potential issues, as they face future threats? Though Paul had never met them face to face, he earnestly prayed for their growth because he knew the potential harm that could come to them. If this false teaching, or if any false teaching, were to take a stronghold in the church of Colossae. 
Christian, do you desire for your brother or sister in Christ to be fully equipped spiritually so that they may, so that they may be ready for the trials that come? If you were to read the epistle of James, you would understand that trials, they're a part of life. It's not a matter of if they come, it's a matter of when they come. They will come. Paul desires for these Christians in Colossae not just to be strengthened or, or to be aided, but to be filled with wisdom and understanding. Those who sought to distort the, the true gospel contented themselves with a worldly intellectual growth and religious knowledge divorced from the truth. Listen to that again. Those who sought to distort the true gospel contented themselves with a worldly intellectual growth in, in religious knowledge divorced from the truth. To be perfectly honest with you this morning, the Judaizers who held to the doctrine of Gnosticism, which was a false teaching, they held to this false teaching even though it was not based off of God's revelation. Even though God had not given them any, indica- any indication yet to believe this, uh, we must be encouraged to look to Scripture alone because it is Scripture alone that we can learn the whole counsel of God. Uh, we run into danger when we try and interject something into Scripture that is not there. We must be willing to, to, to humble ourselves and to approach God's Word and to see what He might have for us. We just mentioned that, that Paul prayed for their knowledge to increase because these Christians were under siege spiritually by false teachers telling them that they needed a better knowledge apart from God. They needed a better knowledge apart from God. Well, to these false teachers, Jesus Christ was a good place to begin, but there was so much more than these Christians in Colossae could know and experience. You see, we just sang that it is in Christ alone that we believe for our salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. But these, these false teachers were trying to say, yes, Jesus is a good place to start, but there's so much more that you need to know. The Greek term that is written here in the original language that Paul uses is best understood as full knowledge. We do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge. True, full knowledge. The knowledge being prayed for by Paul for these Christians in Colossae was complete. It was It was full. They would not be lacking in any sense. Paul prayed for full knowledge for them because it would fill them in such a way that it would instill wisdom and understanding, which was singularly spiritual. Christian, when was the last time you offered sincere prayer to God on the behalf of another believer concerning their growth? Now, we would all admit today that we want to see each other succeed, correct? Yeah, yeah, we would all admit that. But some of us would only be willing to go so far. Some of us would only be willing to invest so much because, again, at the end of the day, as long as we're doing okay, that's all that matters. But when was the last time you offered sincere prayer to God on the behalf of another believer concerning their growth? Not just concerning a need that they have, a physical need or, or a financial need, like, Yes, it's important to pray for that, but, but for their spiritual growth. 
Lord, fill them with knowledge. Lord, equip them to, to deal with the trials that, the, that they will face. Lord, comfort them in a way that only you can comfort them. Lord, come alongside them. What is often true is that our prayers offered to God are normally self-centered and self-serving. And, and I understand. Um, I think that is, that is due to the way that we approach prayer. Oftentimes we approach prayer as a last resort. We say, okay, when things get bad, I'll approach God. So I'll try and take care of this in my own strength. I'll try and take care of this in my own power. And then things get bad, or we, or we make a mistake, and things get worse. And then we say, oh, Lord, help me. Provide for me. Be there for me. The scripture says you're all powerful. Lord, provide for me. But what is beautiful is that Paul here, he desired growth and understanding for these Christians. What about you, though? I mean, the beautiful thing today is that we have been able to gather together we look around, some of us are family. We've known each other for years, some of us. Some of us, we've, we've briefly met. But we come to church every single week. We might even be in the same Sunday school class. We might have even gone out to lunch at times. But do we desire spiritual growth for one another? Are we concerned enough with one another that we are willing to approach God and, and to beseech him, Lord, Fill them. Lord, equip them. Oftentimes, we're so busy running, running around, trying to take care of things in our own strength, that when things get messed up, we just focus on ourselves. And it's something that we all, we all deal with. The knowledge that was requested here by Paul for these believers was a deep, growing knowledge of Christ and his will. The knowledge, this knowledge is of the greatest importance to the spiritual life of all Christians. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul prays likewise for other believers as well. He prays likewise for other believers as well. In Ephesians 1, 17, if you're, if you're taking notes, in Philemon 6, listen to this in Ephesians 1, 17. He's praying this, the prayer for knowledge and power, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Isn't that beautiful? He's praying this for these Christians in Ephesus that he's, that he's met, but he's also praying this earnestly, sincerely for these Christians that he's never met. See, I'm not, I'm not asking us today, and I'm not suggesting to us, hey, we need to start praying earnestly for our missionaries. Do we need to start praying earnestly for our missionaries? Absolutely. But I think it would be a great, a great place for us to begin to start praying for those who are, who are immediately close to us. When was the last time you prayed for your spouse to experience genuine spiritual growth? When was the last time that you prayed for your family member, for your friend, to be filled with all wisdom? When was the last time you prayed for that church member to be fully equipped? To not be left deficient. Using language of great intensity in his prayer, Paul recognized that spiritual knowledge is foundational to a sound, fruitful Christian life. As scripture reveals to us, spiritual knowledge comes through the work of the Holy Spirit. You can read of that in the Gospel of John 16, verse 8 through 11. But as you read of the Holy Spirit in scripture, you recognize, though, that the Holy Spirit does not work alone. 
the scriptures become the primary source of knowledge for the believer as they are studied in power of the Holy Spirit. Well, we must acknowledge, as Paul also acknowledged, is that every believer should be able to filter his, his culture's seductive truth through the grid of God's divine truth. These Christians in Colossae, just like Christians everywhere, they were going to be facing heretical teaching. They were going to be facing teaching that seemed genuine, um, seemed accurate, but there was a slight change. I mean, again, the, those who believed in, the, in this false teaching of Gnosticism, they said, yeah, Jesus Christ, he's a great place to begin. Jesus Christ, he's this, he's this great instrument of God, but you've got to go beyond that. But we would recognize that Jesus Christ is God. He's co-equal with God. He's co-eternal with God. He's not a created being. He is God incarnate, God in the flesh. As Paul desires this growth for his fellow believers, he, be, he comes as one who is entitled to ask. The verb that's employed here by Paul in the original language allows us to see that Paul is asking as one entitled to ask. It's so different than a, than, a, than a child coming to their parents saying, hey, can I have ice cream for dessert? Okay, they don't come entitled to ask. They're, they're, they're requesting. But he comes entitled to ask. He comes with confidence. He comes with boldness as he is asking this of God. God commands us to ask, and we can ask in, in confidence. Scripture speaks to the hope that we have in God. And last week, I think I even alluded it, to it a little bit. Hope is not, I, ho I hope it happens. It's likely it might, it might not. Hope is a confident expectation. We have hope in Christ. Therefore, we can come to him in confidence. But this request by Paul, again, it's similar to his request back in Ephesians 1.17. Directly, Paul is asking God to fill them with wisdom so as to see past the error of the false teaching of Gnosticism, to see past it, Lord, equip them to, to deal with it well. Lord, not just to, 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 to hear it or to know it, but to understand it. These Colossians are to know God's will so as to avoid other substitutions that seek to replace that divine will from God. We read verse 9 a moment ago, and, and in verse 9, Paul mentions knowledge. He mentions wisdom and understanding in this verse. And those three terms apply to these Christians facing false teaching. This is a serious matter. What's truly wonderful about this prayer by Paul is that Paul duly asked God to bestow the knowledge that these specific Christians need. Have you ever found yourself, you've made a, maybe you've, you've been encouraged to pray for others, and you begin praying for others, and though you have great intentions, you just kind of pray generically. Lord, help so-and-so today as they face trials. Or Lord, help them with what they might need. Fulfill any need that they might have. And that's great to be praying for them. But here he lists specific things that he's praying for. A sign of spiritual growth in our life is to be so invested in one another, to care enough about one another, that we're willing to come alongside one another and say, hey, what can I pray for you about? To, to examine the lives of one another, not just to look straight forward, but to look around us and to grow together and to say, hey, I'm noticing this tendency in that person's life. Hey, I've made this mistake when I was younger. I want to help that person. And being active in their spiritual growth. 
Here we see Paul being active in their spiritual growth, which is just amazing. Okay? He's not there physically. He's not met them. Yes, they know of Paul, but he is not physically there. He knows that they are from Colossae. He knows that there's Christians there. He knows that Epaphras started the church. He's, he's kind of the minister there. He's the faithful servant there, but that's about all he knows. But yet he's being active in their spiritual growth. Ever since I started coming, coming to this church back in 2017, um, Pastor Sam, week after week, okay, always speaks about discipling. He brings it up. He encourages us. He urges us to, to, to look around and to disciple one another. It, it's a great resolution. It's a great goal to have in, in our life for 2022. But really, it's a great goal to have in our life as Christians for our entire life to look around and say, hey, how can I disciple someone? How can I invest in someone? For many of us, that might just be praying for that individual. For many of us, it might just be sitting down and saying, hey, let's do our devotions together. For many of us, it might just be saying, hey, recently I've been reading in Scripture and I've noticed this. What do you think? Being active in, 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 spirit, in the spiritual growth of one another. But Paul here is being active in the spiritual growth of these, of these people. He didn't know. He, he didn't see. When was the last time that you were active in another believer's spiritual growth? As I look around today, I see several families gathered together here with us today. And that's wonderful. One of the great privileges as a parent, one of the great privileges as a spouse, is to make sure to invest in your family as to help them with their spiritual growth. The prayer here is offered to God, desiring that they might gain the full knowledge of God's will through the insight the Holy Spirit imparts, and thus be able to please God. It's not just, hey, grow, but Father, equip them, help them grow spiritually, so that they may please you. The wisdom and understanding which Paul and Timothy are desiring to see in these Colossian Christians are, insepar are inseparable from the knowledge of God and his will. These Christians need to know true knowledge before they can point out and confront false knowledge. What we need to, to admit and accept this morning is that true knowledge begins with a proper attitude about God. We must trust God and take him at his word and not try to distort the true gospel as these false teachers did. Let's continue on to verse 10. If these Christians were to be filled with this right knowledge, it says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. If they, were, if they were going to be filled with this right knowledge, they will live and act in a manner that is worthy of holiness of him whom they confess as their Lord. Have you ever looked around at false religions? False religions where it's not really like a matter of, like, people understand, like, it's wrong, it's wicked, it's, 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 a, it's false worship. Have you ever looked around, though, and wondered, why they are so devout. I mean, they're so devout. I mean, you think of religions and, and religions that are very violent, religions that are not very accepting, not very forgiving, religions where these people have to pray five, six, seven times a day. It's not prayer wherever it's not. They have to memorize these things. They have to do these certain practices. Have you ever wondered why they have such passion for that? 
Why? Like, there's, there's probably, like, never been a day that they've missed that time of prayer on, the, on that prayer, on that prayer cloak or prayer shawl. Like, have you ever wondered why they have that much passion? Hopefully you have, because I don't know about you. Sometimes I, I look at that and I think, they are so passionate about something that is obviously wrong and false. And instead of being passionate, they're very passive. Um, probably the reason why we are not active in someone else's spiritual growth is because we are not very passionate in our own. As we continue, though, to think about this idea of walking worthy, we must understand that walk symbolically referred to one's conduct. In the Hebrew mind, knowledge and conduct were bound together. But in, in this Gnostic culture, teaching was highly speculative, theoretical, not bound to life. But we must admit and realize that true spiritual knowledge means action. It means action for us as children of God. Actions truly speak louder than words. We are to be Christians of action, not ignorance, action. We are to be Christians of action, not ignorance and not arrogance. A profound knowledge should profoundly affect one's walk. Kent Hughes had this quote, and I thought, man, this is powerful and convicting. He says this, if our doctrine lifts us so high that our feet cannot touch the ground, it's false doctrine. Paul prayed that they would be active that their knowledge of God would grow and that it would produce a conduct pleasing to God. Paul prayed this because Paul saw the dynamic connection between action and knowledge. Christian, the more one truly serves God, the more one opens to the knowledge of him. The more, the more one knows of God, the more one wants to serve him. Christian, the knowledge of God is designed to produce morality. Paul urges him to every good work, producing fruit, Growing in the knowledge of God. But let us understand that not all good works have the form of external action. Truly, it is the knowledge of God which is the real instrument of enlargement in soul and life of the believer. But it is not just enough to know. One must act upon it and obey. Because these Christians had true knowledge, they could truly walk worthily. Don't you want that to be said of your life? I mean, we, we all came here today because we are publicly confessing that we are Christians. Don't we want our conduct to point to the fact that we are? Don't we want to please God with the way that we're living our life? We didn't just wander in here and stumble in here today because this is just what we've always done. We came here for a purpose. God is pleased by his children walking worthily. We bear fruit and grow in every good work both bearing fruit and growing is accomplished by means of the knowledge of God. Our knowledge of God is not to be theoretical. It's not to be abstract, but faithful, productive, molding our conduct and our life. He says in verse 11, Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power and all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. See, by means of this knowledge, God ever keeps filling us with dynamic power. But I do want to make a distinction. 
though we may receive divine power, uh, this does not mean that we become omnipotent. We would, we would recognize today that our God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful, right? Uh, he's all-knowing. He is all-present. He is all-powerful. We would recognize today that our God is all-powerful. So we're not saying that we would be like God in that sense. God gives us, though, the power that we need. God's word tells us that we will not be deficient. Isn't that a wonderful promise? We will not be deficient. We will not be lacking. What is beautiful is to see the transition from a spiritual babe to a full-grown, mature Christian built in Christ Jesus, full of power. God empowers Christians for all perseverance and long-suffering with joy. He says at the end of the verse, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. All of our perseverance and long-suffering are ever to be accompanied with joy. But Paul, he beseeches God to give these Christians strength. Great strength reflective of divine glory. Paul's praying for them to be strengthened, to remain steadfast in in the face of ridicule. In the face of minor harassment. And even in the daily difficulties of living. As Paul beseeched God to strengthen them. This was a continuous and steady supply for which Paul was begging God to impart to these Christians. It wasn't, Lord, just give them a lot of power and they can burn through it. It was, Lord, be continued. Be, be, make it steady. It makes me think back to when God provided manna from heaven. Remember, he gave them just what they needed each and every day. Now, eventually they complained about it, but he gave them just what they needed each and every day. And there came a point when manna stopped coming from heaven. And it was a great sign that God was going to continue to provide for them. God's power was going to guide them. These Christians were to persevere in the midst of persecution from false teachers. Paul desired that these Colossian Christians would have a long-suffering, patient spirit as they related to one another and as they related to those outside of the church, other Christians that they would come, come across. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 4 through 6, Paul lists endurance and patience as marks of a true minister of Christ. It was necessary that God strengthen these Christians with power from God himself. Truly Christians who endure and have patience in the midst of trial, trials walk worthy of the Lord. The endowment of power requested by Paul, it would enable them to stand firm in the face of trials and opposition and everything else that came to test their faith. Paul reveals in Galatians 5.22 that patient endurance is a fruit of the Spirit. There was truly a need to combine joyfulness with patient endurance. Verse 12 giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Paul prayed for them to have patience, perseverance, and joy. He understood that these attributes were to be continually accompanied by a thankful spirit. Here's the truth. God's grace, which is evident in our lives each and every day, God's grace should urge us as Christians to respond in pure gratitude. We sang about the power of the cross. And perhaps in that moment as we sang about the power of the cross, 
Okay, our name is written in his wounds. Sure, maybe there was a moment where like, oh yeah, I'm thankful for God's saving power. But what is pure gratitude? When we consider what God has done for us, we are filled with great gratitude that we want to share it. And Paul here, he's desiring them to continue to grow. He's understanding that going through things with patience and long-suffering and joyfulness will bring about gratitude. Christian, when was the last time you took time to express genuine gratitude to God for his grace? Constantly reflecting on God's grace will urge you and I to respond in gratitude. Kind of an interesting phrase in here, giving thanks to the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Hath made us meet. Kind of an interesting phrase. We probably don't use that uh, today. But here the passage reveals that God made believers meet, meaning sufficient by a mighty act of rescue, a glorious act of transfer into saving possession. Paul reveals in his prayer that the lot of the saints, the inheritance, he's going to use inheritance, lot, same thing. The lot of the saints, the inheritance of the saints is to bear fruit and to grow in every good work by means of the knowledge of God. We bear fruit as being empowered in all power for perseverance and long-suffering with joy. We must thank God for this lot, for this inheritance, and the part of it which he has fitted us for. We need to remind ourselves that God has fitted us, he's prepared us for the trials that we are facing, for the trials that we have faced, and for the trials that we will face. And here he's giving genuine gratitude, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath prepared us. He's made us sufficient. The saints here on earth have a blessed inheritance that is lighted up by the light of the gospel. And its knowledge fills them with power to, to bear fruit, to bear the fruit of good works. Again, that, that word inheritance. Paul mentions here the word inheritance. Inheritance is a portion, it's a heritage, it's a lot or a part. Among all the saints, Paul, Timothy, and the Colossian Christians have their place so that they too have been filled for the special part the father wants them to occupy in the lot in the part of the great body of the saints see paul has has his portion his lot his inheritance as an apostle timothy as paul's assistant epaphras as the founder and leader of the colossian christians and each of these colossian christians in their have their own special place as one of the saints we must be honest this morning and recognize that our human nature with which we are all born with is not fit to share in any heavenly inheritance. Truly, we are, we are born guilty of Adam's original sin and our sins add to the guilt. But God makes us fit for our heavenly inheritance, which would cause us, cause us to give humble and hearty thanks. When we truly consider our sin, when we truly consider our sin, we cannot help but feel humble and unworthy of the inheritance that God has made us meet for. What makes you deserving? Just asking. 
of eternal life? What makes you and I deserving of spending an eternity with God, worshiping in his presence, seeing his glory? What makes us worthy of it? Well, as we'll see in a moment, the, the fact that Christ died in our place makes us worthy. At the end of the verse, Paul mentions this phrase, saints in light. I think at best that we, we, we must interpret it as departed saints who now dwell in the light of heaven, full of glory. Uh, it certainly conforms to the mention of inheritance, for inheritance much more clearly designates heaven than it accords with our present condition. Again, we must recognize that nothing less than gratitude is fitting. Considering how God had qualified these Colossian Christians to share the inheritance of, the, of his people. The inheritance being spoken of here. We, we read of inheritance throughout the Bible, but the inheritance being spoken of here is much more than the inheritance of the land of Canaan. It's a divine, eternal inheritance in God's presence. Imagine that beautiful future reality that every believer has to look forward to. He has qualified us. He has made us meet. This inheritance, though, has a future sense to it. See, one day Christ is coming back again. And we have said that, we've sung about it. And for those of us who are perhaps dealing with some pain this morning, who are perhaps dealing with some struggles, maybe need to be reminded of that today for some encouragement, that God is coming back again one day. He has prepared a place for us. He has made us meet to be, to be with the saints in light. We have an inheritance, a heavenly inheritance. And therefore, you and I can give joy when we face trials. You and I can give great joy, genuine gratitude, pure gratitude when we consider what God has done for us. Verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. God is the one who has fitted us. God is the one who has rescued us. To rescue requires a power that is greater than the power from which the rescue is affected. See, the darkness holds all men in its authority and all are powerless to escape. The Bible tells us we are all born into this world sinners. We are all born at enmity with God. The darkness holds all men in its authority and all are powerless to escape. Only the Father could affect our rescue. We cannot. Through God's power, God transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus Christ. His dear son is God's beloved son. This is a son, begotten in eternity of God, who is love. Je Jesus Christ was sent by God for a specific purpose, a specific job, a specific mission. Matthew 3.17 and Luke 9.35 Reveal that truth to us, that he was sent for a purpose. Son of Man is, is come to seek and to save that which was lost. The inheritance we just spoke of, it is irradiated by the brightness of the sun of righteousness, shining in the hearts of God's people. The word for brought or transferred is used in other places to describe a mighty king picking up a whole population and deporting them to another realm. This has already been accomplished through Christ, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Think about it. 
If we lived our entire life and rejected God, we would spend an eternity separated from God. An eternity separated from God. But, he, but through Christ, and through our faith in Jesus Christ, we can now be transferred. We can be translated to the kingdom of his dear son. When was the last time that you considered what it cost Christ to deliver us from the power of darkness? We mentioned a moment ago, all men came into his power. All men were powerless. But Jesus Christ died in our place. It took nothing less than the sacrifice of God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. It says in verse 14, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. The beautiful truth about this passage is how it reveals to us that we have been purchased from the slave market of sin and our sins have been sent away. Why? Because we are in Christ Jesus. Christian, do we care enough about each other to pray for both the knowledge and conduct of fellow believers. A church which is growing in the knowledge of Christ and his will and is walking worthy of him will do great things. It says here that Christ is the agent of our redemption, which means that Christ is the one who accomplished it. If we possess Christ, we possess in him our deliverance. Redemption here signifies a deliverance by means of pain or ransom. And here's the truth. You and I all were born in this world sinners. We all had a price to pay, but we could not. Only Christ, Christ alone, could pay that ransom. We have received deliverance through the death of Christ from the wrath of a holy God and the merited penalty of sin. Surely, redemption includes sanctification and glorification as well as forgiveness. In Christ, these Christians in Colossae receive their redemption with the forgiveness of sins in him. Because it is only as those who share the risen life of Christ that they have made, it, that they have made effective in them what he has done for them. Ephesians 1.7 tells us this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. The emancipation which the, which the people of Christ enjoy in him was purchased for them at the price of his life, freely offered up by Christ on the cross. And the redemption procured by Christ for his people once and for all is appreciated by them individually as they become united with him by faith. The idea communicated in this verse is released by having a ransom paid for us. The ransoming price is the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. It is theirs personally by faith alone. It is yours personally as well by faith alone. Forgiveness, remission, speaks to the sending away of sin so that they will never be found. These Christians must ever thank God for their lot in the light of the gospel and never exchange it for darkness. When was the last time that you rejoiced? at the fact that God rescued you from darkness. That God saved your soul. Today, we have examined this passage. A beautiful prayer by the Apostle Paul, desiring continued spiritual growth for these, for these Christians in Colossae. 
understanding that was full, knowledge that was full, that they would not be deficient. As they would face issues, as they would face heretical teaching, as they would face false teachers, as they would face disputes, Paul here is praying earnestly, sincerely, that they would continue to grow in their walk with God. And he is giving gratitude, sincere, pure gratitude for the fact that Christ has accomplished it. When was the last time that you were so concerned for another Christian that you desired to to see them experience spiritual growth? May this passage and this prayer by Paul and divine scripture from God encourage you and I to pray and 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 to intercede for one another earnestly and sincerely. Join me, if you will, in a word of prayer. Father, we praise you for this time that we've been able to spend in your word.